Welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of Under the Wig. I'm Jasmine Arnell-Smith. And I'm Hannah King. Our episode today is brought to you by MSLS, Gilbert and Tobin, and the College of Law. The College of Law offers the largest range of flexible, practical legal training programs in Western Australia, with online, part-time and full-time study options and more than 10 start dates, you can fit PLT around your schedule. Google the College of Law to find more. Gilbert and Tobin, also known as GNT, is delighted to be the sponsor of today's International Women's Day podcast. GNT is recognised as a leading transaction regulatory and dispute law firm handling some of the most complex transactions in Australia. They are trusted by clients on sensitive regulatory investigations and approvals, litigation and royal commissions. GNT is committed to outstanding citizenship. Their pro bono legal services have a proud track record of championing important causes such as marriage equality and reconciliation with Australia's Indigenous peoples. Gilbert and Tobin have the highest proportion of women partners among major Australian law firms. Women at GNT account for 61% of their workforce, 36% of partners, and 57% of lawyers. In July 2021, 100% of GNT's partner promotions were women. GNT is one of the few law firms to be consistently recognised by the Workplace Gender Equality Agency as an employer of choice for gender equality since 2010. GNT has a long history of women playing important roles, not just in legal circles, but in the business world and the broader community generally. Their female partners and many others within the firm act as inspiring role models and mentors, not just to their female staff, but to other women more generally. Some of the firm's initiatives include Women at GNT and Women's Circle, an initiative aimed at enriching and supporting the careers and professional development of enterprising Australian women. For more information, please check out their website, gtlaw.com.au, and a reminder that clerkship applications open on the 27th of June. GNT looks forward to hearing from you. This season, we're bringing you interviews with people in both the legal and criminology professions. We're starting off with Jackie Judo Larson, a criminology researcher who currently works for Walk Free. We'd like to thank last year's hosts, Marnie and Ellie, for recording this episode. Today we're here with Jackie Julie Larson. Um, thank you so much for being here with us today, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Can you explain to our listeners how did you get to your position today at Walk Free? Yeah, sure. Um, I was thinking about this earlier and I guess if I look back on it, it looks like I actually had this really well thought out career path and everything led neatly from one job to another. Mm-hmm. But actually it was nothing like that in reality. At key points, I kind of followed my interests and looked for the next challenge, which is pretty much how I ended up here. Um, of course, it started with like several years of study. I did a Bachelor of Arts and I majored in psychology, then a fourth year that focused on research, and then I went on to do a master's in criminology. Um, I actually didn't plan on having research as a career. I, mm-hmm. you know, I did well in the units, but I didn't really see it as something that was a proper career path as such. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was really, really interested in, which kind of took me to psychology, was why humans do the things they do and particularly where they're doing something that harms another what is it that drives that and that led to an internship at the Australian Institute of Criminology which was an incredible experience it was meant to be a you know a three-month internship 
And I ended up working there for 10 years. It was a job I really, really loved. Mm -hmm. Um, Six of those years were spent on people trafficking research. And that's kind of what led me directly into Walk3 at that point. Yeah, that's really interesting. So was there like a moment that made you realize that you were more interested in doing like criminology as compared to psych or just sort of happen I'm like this is gonna sound incredibly stupid but I was a massive fan of crime shows <laughs> always and I and I found myself reading all these books about you know like serial killers or these sorts of things and I just found it interesting I never actually thought much of it but when I was studying psych one of the electives I picked up was um, psychology and the criminal justice system and then there was another one about criminal behavior And I just found it really, really fascinating. Like as much as psych itself was amazing, and that's been a fantastic grounding for this work, it was that criminology side of it that really piqued my interest. So then I just followed that through. This is really validating to hear because the only reason why I'm studying criminology is because I listen to like a thousand true crime podcasts. Oh yeah, don't let anybody tell you that TV can't have a positive impact. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so modern slavery is as close as the coffee i'm drinking right now it's the clothes we're wearing the electronics we've got around us um people think that it's something that ended a long time ago but there's actually more people living in slavery today than at any other point in history Basically, it's any practice in which somebody's coerced or threatened or deceived to exploit them and undermine their freedom. That it includes practices like forced labor, uh, human trafficking, debt bondage, bonded labor, the sale and exploitation of children, and state-imposed forced labor. Mm-hmm. The um, ultimately, like at its core, it's about commodifying human beings. So, and it happens when people are being denied the freedom to choose where they work or when they leave a job or when to get married. Mm -hmm. These are all decisions that we're lucky enough to take for granted, but, you know, it's pretty core to what modern slavery is about. That's a really, really difficult question. Um, Mm -hmm. there's There's a few things that are tough, I guess, but, I mean, aside from the subject matter itself, which can be, you know, pretty difficult to deal with sometimes, um... We're often approached to fund other organisations and the you know the projects or initiatives that they're trying to run, many of those are incredibly worthwhile, but they don't often align with our strategic vision. So saying no is you know what we do more often than not, and that's a really, really difficult part of the role because, as I said, these are really incredible projects. Um, but And I think something else that's really tough is feeling never feeling as though we've done enough. I think, you know, this is something that we're quite serious about ending, but it's going to take some time and you just, there's an impatience to get there quickly. One of the things that we talked about with one of our other guests is the challenge of, you know, like when you're working on a small scale, you can make that individual change, but you don't get to see the bigger picture. And when you're working in areas like politics, you get to see that big change, but you don't get to see the impact that that has on people. Mm. And I imagine it must be difficult to stay motivated in the face of something that's so... Yeah, it can be tough. I think we're very lucky. We have a team of people who are incredibly committed. Like they're not, they don't see their role at Walk Free as just another job. So that kind of passion really does drive you. 
um, and it keeps the motivation levels up. I think we also deal a lot with survivors and that's a huge privilege, but there's a real responsibility there as well. I, I think there's ways of staying motivated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I came across this job when I was in a role that I loved somewhere else. I wasn't even looking to leave, but I kind of got to the point in my research career where I loved research, but I really wanted to play a more active role in translating research into action. And that's what Walk Free offered. Mm-hmm. I guess that brings us nicely to like, what has been the highlight of your time with Walk Free so far? Well, the ones that I'll talk about, <laughs> that I can talk about, um, I mentioned survivors before. That is always a highlight. It's it's usually the toughest part. You know, your people are sharing some really difficult experiences with you, but they are some of the strongest people I've ever come across. Um, so that is a huge privilege and every opportunity to work with survivors has been a real highlight for me. Then um, I did get a real kick out of our work being retweeted by people like Hillary Clinton, Bill mm-hmm. Gates, Richard Branson, a few other names that your listeners will recognise. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, more seriously, the mm-hmm. Global Slavery Index has really changed the way we talk about modern slavery. So that is something that is a huge highlight. Yeah, yeah. It must be really nice to, like, actually see that intact especially when it comes from the tweets of the rich and famous. Yeah, absolutely. It is, although, you know, as somebody who's responsible for the figures, when I see people misquoting it or, like, misrepresenting it, it does worry me, but I have to let go of those things once it's out in public. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like it's always a concern in criminology about people, like, misquoting and misunderstanding research because it's really easy to do. Um, So what are you looking forward to in the future of Walk Free? I am, not to state the obvious, I'm really looking forward to putting ourselves out of a job. Like we're really serious mm-hmm. about wanting to end all forms of this crime. Mm-hmm. So um, I really look forward to that day. I, I worry that it's further off than we'd like it to be, but, you know, that's that's the first thing. But to get us to that day, we've got some huge research projects to focus on. Um, we've got the next Global Estimates of Modern Slavery with the ILO coming up, mm-hmm. the next edition of the Global Slavery Index, so, and they're really important pieces of work for setting a baseline and measuring progress for the field and for specific mm-hmm. governments. And then we have some really huge advocacy goals. You know, we've been around for 10 years, but sometimes it feels like we're just getting started and we're really ramping up our advocacy around key issues. So I was really lucky to get that internship. Like AIC, it's been it's been a while since I've been in touch with the organisation itself, but it was super competitive back then. And so they had this very small scale internship program. And I was lucky enough to get an internship. Um, and I just loved it. I think I said before, I didn't actually think about research as a career path. But once I'd, once I'd, like done research in a practical setting it just made so much more sense and I saw the real value in it so AIC was incredible kind of you were throwing at just about anything going so you ended up with a lot of responsibility um, even though you didn't have a great deal of experience at first but there was always somebody to kind of mentor you through that so it felt like you were taking all these chances but had a safety net which I think was the most amazing way to learn Mm -hmm. so you know I started there as an intern and progressed um, in the 10 years I was there through to like a principal research analyst Mm -hmm. and 
worked on all sorts of projects that were amazing. Um, you know, things like um, there was a mock sexual assault trials project, which was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. We ran an experimental study design, drafted um, a script for the trial, hired actors to play the roles, did like pre and post testing with the jurors. Super, super interesting. I'm really intrigued about this mock trial uh, research that you did. So just out of interest, did you guys like all sit down and cast them together? Like how did that, oh, how yes. did the audition we were process go? In, it was amazing. We were involved in casting. So we hired a director. Um, oh, wow. You know, we needed somebody who knew what they were doing. And um, we were involved in the casting process. And then, and actually it was really funny because this shows my age. But I remember growing up watching a country practice and one of the actors that auditioned and actually got one of the roles was on a country practice. So I'm great. We're the starstruck. No, it was really, really interesting to be involved in everything. And we worked closely. It was a study that was commissioned by the New South Wales DPP. So we worked really closely with them on the script and, you know, what would be that classic sort of scenario around mm-hmm. sexual assault. So very, very fun project. It involved a lot of long hours, but really interesting. Yeah, I can imagine it would have been really fascinating as well to watch, like actually be able to watch the jury as they made that decision and like look at, you know, like I've always dreamed of being on jury duty. So it would wow. be really fascinating Everyone to be able to like, sit in and, and yeah. I got a tale for you. Oh, so that I have been wanting to be on a jury forever, right? Mm-hmm. And two months ago I got called up. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's funny that we're talking about this project actually because it felt as though my life had come full circle. Mm-hmm. So I got called up for the jury. I ended up being selected at the, as a full person. So at this point I'm living my best life. These oh, are all my dream. dreams coming true. But the, um, the complainant in the case was testifying via pre-recorded video and that's what the study was about. It was about looking at the impacts of mode of testimony on juror decision making. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the main conclusions was that actually it didn't have a big impact. And so that mm-hmm. study played a role in the policy shift in New South Wales to let adult complainants of sexual assault testify via pre-recorded video or mm-hmm. CCTV, which at that point was available for children. Yeah. And since then, that's, you know, kind of spread out to other states. So I was sitting here in the jury and saw the complainant on the video and just thought, oh, wow, I, you know, years back, we conducted a study that might have played a small role in making this possible. I mean, I don't, that might be a long bow to draw, but it was so interesting. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. really interesting. And also, like, I can imagine what a big difference that would have for complainants of those sorts of crimes. Like, it's really, really important that they have those, like, that they can make that decision. Yeah, it was amazing, actually, to see that it actually, you know, that's something we did help shape public policy in that way. And in its time, as well because you know criminology research should absolutely play a role in shaping public policy there's incredible Mm -hmm. research happening around the country but it often comes up against the you know the kind of tough on crime Mm -hmm. rhetoric that Mm -hmm. public people you know the kind of politicians always buy into Mm -hmm. so that tends to undermine the impact that some of this incredible work could be having on public policy so where you do Mm -hmm. see something like that shifting it's really wonderful to see Mm. Yeah. 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 I guess amazing. I guess one of the things I am constantly frustrated in in doing criminology is we have all this evidence and we know that there's these things that we could do that would likely have a really good impact. Mm. But how do you get the public on board to vote for those changes? 
don't know if there really is an easy answer to how do you like how do you convince the public how do you get them to trust criminological research when it's putting up against that like yeah tough on crime attitude I know I don't think there is an easy answer to it but I think a lot of solutions to those kinds of challenges beyond criminology just come back to education systems you know making sure people understand how the process works and you know skills like critical thinking for example and empathy too um, would be pretty important in helping us change the narrative on these things yeah I definitely saw um, yeah I definitely saw the impact of people not understanding the criminal justice system as a juror like the way people talked about it for me, I, I I just took for granted that people knew how a courtroom worked, but of course mm. most people never step in there. So there's a lot of suspicion around what were just procedural things that are quite normal in court. Mm. And it's interesting to think of how that impacts people's decisions on it. But even then studying more, I'll often find myself being like, a bit out of touch with like what the actual procedure is because so much of what we do is just like studying the theory yeah so yeah. when you see the like practical side of things it's very very different and often a bit like why have you done like that yeah 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 absolutely Yeah, I think, um, you know, as I said, the projects were really wide ranging. So you kind of learned something different about all of them. But if I think about the main skills that I took away, it, one was, you know, the, a really rigorous approach to research um, mm -hmm. and understanding every aspect of the process well. Also, really solid project management skills. And this was a, a huge benefit of an organisation that was quite small um, when I joined and I think is still small. We it would, actually, as an aside, we'd always meet people um, or people would come to the AIC and we'd have these sessions. They might be visiting fellows or just a guest speaker. And they were always surprised how small the AIC was because mm -hmm. the sheer amount um, that it puts out just doesn't marry up to the number of people in the building. So that was always interesting. But yeah, solid project management skills because, um, you know, even as a junior researcher, you had responsibilities to manage the day-to-day -day of projects mm -hmm. and there's no better way to learn than just being thrown into it like that. So that was mm -hmm. excellent. Um, and the other key thing that I've taken with me is an ability to write in plain English. That I don't know what, I don't know oh, where universities <laughs> sit on this right now, but no, that, definitely wasn't the style I was taught so I remember just the shock of the first few pieces you wrote that were being reviewed internally and they'd come back and it would just say what does this mean write in plain English you know it has to be accessible so that that took a little while to learn but it's been incredibly valuable. I definitely in our first year now we have to do a unit and most of it is on teaching you to write in plain English and I remember being so frustrated doing it but I've also since been like this is so important like what's the point of doing research or doing work if people can't read it yeah, so you have to I think in high school you're trying to write like fancy so yeah. that your teacher's impressed by all the big yeah. words you know and then they get to uni and they're like stop Yeah, but it's also so, uh, you can really tell the difference from where the shift is from like writing in a way that impresses people to writing in plain English when you're reading um, like court documents, oh, yeah. like judgments, oh, yeah. because you look at ones from like 
like oh, the biggest thing I've noticed is I'm doing uh, like a some work on international humanitarian law at the moment. And the all the UN documents are from like the early 2000s, like 2008, 2009, and they're all written in such a clear, like understandable way. <laughs> and then you look through and look at like court like judgments from like the 1950s, and you're like, I don't. What this this paragraph goes on for two pages. <laughs> I don't know what this means. Like, yeah, yeah. So I definitely think that that's <laughs> good to know that we are learning stuff that will be useful in practice. No, I love hearing that unis are actually teaching that now because that's that's probably one of the biggest changes. Um, mm-hmm. And and we notice that even with people who are joining our team who are coming straight from uni, you get incredibly skilled people, very bright. But sometimes it takes six months to write in that sort of style that we need because ultimately, you know, we're not doing research for its own sake. We need it to be accessible and we need people to pick up those findings and use it for their own advocacy so that the messages go well beyond what Walk Free can achieve alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm really interested in the AIC and I would love to hear about if you've got any like particularly memorable experiences while you were there any like fun stories from while you were working at the AIC I think one of my earliest experiences and it was quite daunting because I I think I'd been there about six months um so you know this is six months out of uni and my first real job before this I'd been a research assistant in university settings which was quite different Mm -hmm. but one of my first projects um, involved running focus groups with survivors of sexual abuse and so we traveled to different parts of the country and it was the first time I was seeing some very remote parts of Australia Um, and also the first time I worked directly with survivors and I just remember very clearly a young woman who'd been assaulted by her father who insisted she was very very quiet during the group But she insisted at the end on being interviewed separately because she was adamant that her story might be able to help others. And I just, that's always just been a memory that really stuck with me. She was incredibly brave. Um, She was still very young at the time that we spoke. Um, But yeah, that that was one of the memories. The other thing that I'm really fascinated with is I imagine, you know, you've talked about how you often have to talk to and, you know, work with survivors. It must be at times incredibly confronting to be dealing with that sort of, you know, like people's stories and that those experiences. How do you deal with often such emotional, yeah, I guess like that emotional burden of hearing people's experiences? Mm. I think, I mean, that's a really, really good question. For me, one thing that really helped me was having that grounding in psychology. Mm-hmm. That, And even as I was doing it, I mean, I... I studied science because I was interested in it. I didn't even think about how it would shape the way I think, the way I, you know, break down problems. Yeah, it's really interesting you say about, you know, like having studied psychology, you sort of like took some of that stuff on board. I feel like I've done the same thing with Krim because I remember we were doing stuff on hostile attribution theory and I realised that whenever I drive, I always think people are maliciously cutting me off and I was like, oh maybe Guy Hall was right like he's on to something and now I'm like such a calmer driver so yeah <laughs> I was like, he's oh. talking about. <laughs> yeah it's really interesting I was like I'm not yeah it's interesting the sort of stuff that, that you pick that's up. something that I really got out of my psych degree yeah just a lot of self-reflection but I don't mm. know if I would have done so soon in my life if I hadn't studied psychology yeah. that degree paid for itself 10 times over what was your what was your experience like studying criminology and psychology as well, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved being at uni and I think, and I don't think I fully appreciated it at the time. It was just 
It's probably the last time I remember having time to really think about issues. And I definitely didn't appreciate learning the theories as much as I should have, because, you know, now I think, oh, actually, you know, I think about one theory or another and it has such an interesting application in the real world that I didn't appreciate then. But um, just that ability to like, you know, take units from different parts, different courses, different topics and really work out what you wanted to do. And being with people who were like-minded was really interesting. Um, I think in terms of something that was memorable about studying, I guess, you know, a lot of it is class-based, right? But mm-hmm. in one of my um, prim courses, we actually had a, we did a research study. And so it was a group piece and we were running surveys out at Casuarina Prison. Mm-hmm. So, and that was the first time I'd walked into a prison. So it was a, an yeah, interesting experience, right? Mm-hmm. And then I remember at the time, um, we they took us into the protected wing just to show us one of the cells and we walked in and there was an option to go you know down the left or the right um our guide took us down the right hand side we were with our lecturer by the way it was it was a group of um four of us and three were female one male and our lecturer and then on the left hand side actually david burney was still in prison there but you know they took us down the other side so, which I don't know how I feel about that, <laughs> but, you know, Damn. so we went in and just, it was so interesting to walk in and see a real prison setting because we walked in and they were all sitting in this open area having lunch. And I just remember my first thought being, oh, they're allowed utensils. <laughs> it was just, it was such a trivial thing, but I'd never even thought about it. I remember as we left that um, unit, there was one of the prisoners was out and I think he was just raking or something. And he shouted out to the guard that was taking us through and he said, Better watch those kids. Like, you know, he's like, Watch those kids, boss. There's dangerous people in here and giggled. <laughs> and so then we said, Oh, what's he in for? And he's like, Murder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. It was yeah, a very odd environment. Really tough job that prison guards have actually. I feel like it's so it's so bizarre going into like prisons. I'm so fascinated. Especially working at Fremantle, I'm like every opportunity I get to do anything with the prison system I'm like it is really really interesting especially when you think of it in terms of you know why the prison system is there and he's such an unnatural environment and then you know people kind of have done their time and then they are reintegrated into society and you can see why sometimes that fails for long-term prisoners yeah yeah I think about it all the time it's like I'm so interested anyway (laughs) move on from my like weird prison obsession um so what kind of qualities do you look for when you're hiring employees at Wolfbury? Yeah, this is a really good question, actually. Like, you know, obviously skills and education are important, but one of the things increasingly is we're looking for people who are a really good fit on values and so have that right attitude, are open-minded, curious, willing to learn. I mean, I can honestly say if you had two candidates and one was very, very skilled but not a good fit for the organisation, we'd choose the other person. Um, because you, some of those things you just can't teach, right? And, and and everything else we pretty much can teach and you'll learn on the job as long as you've got that basic grounding. Hmm. It's interesting. I've realised from doing a lot more job interviews that a lot more of it, once you get the interview, they're assessing whether you're a good person. Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. they're like, is this someone that I could like talk to and, yeah. and like have a coffee with more than it is like if you're at the interview, you probably got the skills. So are you exactly. a nice person who's interesting to work with? And, you know, bringing somebody in who's incredibly skilled but just not the right fit can be so disruptive for a team. So increasingly organisations are really taking that aspect seriously when they hire.
I would say, so when I studied criminology, I had no idea where it might take me. You know, obviously there's the traditional jobs that criminology students go into. Um, again, I hadn't considered research until AIC, but I'd say just be open-minded to other opportunities and don't feel limited to something that looks and feels like criminology, you know, in an mm -hmm. obvious way. I would never have considered applying for an international human rights organization when I'd first started, um, but ultimately, the field of criminology is really interdisciplinary. It draws on psychology, sociology, biology, you know, political science. You you will have knowledge and skills that are transferable. So don't sell yourself too short on that if you're not sure that you want a traditional criminology role. Um, I would be really interested to know if you could like go back in time and give yourself some advice for when you were still in uni. What would you What would you say to yourself? It's a hard question. I, it is a hard question. Um, I, I spent a lot of time like feeling pressured to, you know, you look around you and there are people in your friendship group who are super driven and have this clear plan. And I spent a lot of time thinking about, should I have a clear plan? I don't know what my plan is. And, you know, agonizing over things like that. I think I would have wasted a lot less energy on that. Um, I think the other thing I would have told myself is to like look for internship opportunities sooner um, rather than later because it actually really shapes how you engage with your studies as well. Mm, that's really good to know. Um, like every time we do these interviews, I'm like, I've got to like write notes yeah. on what we've talked oh, about later so I can... No, I know. Yeah. I, I would have loved to have known some of this stuff much earlier in my career. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being here with us today and sitting down with us to do this interview. I've been really looking forward to it. <laughs> so yeah, it's been really interesting to, you know, learn from all your experience and hear all of your interesting stories. So thank you. Thanks so much for the opportunity to do it. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, College of Law and Gilbert and Tobin. Follow Murdoch Student Law Society on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on our next episodes.